Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It's titled, The Living Stone and the Chosen People. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in the scripture, See, I am laying a Zion, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious, But for those who do not believe, the stone that builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If, if for any reason I don't feel like preaching today, what would you do? <laughs> Somebody said they just pray. And probably the reason why I asked that is because the scripture that is read this morning should have been studied by all of you. Because we're going through 1 Peter, you know that. So, if I don't want to preach, and I just want us to discuss the scripture, are you up for that? Thank you. One person is up for that. But we know that First Peter was written to Christians. Christians who were scattered in the province of Asia Minor. And there is a country today where those Christians were scattered. Who can tell me what the name of the country is?
you have a red lobster lunch, if you tell me. You'll be paying for it, but you have it. <laughs> it starts with a T. Who? Yes. Could you speak a little louder? Amen, sister. Yeah, in the country of Turkey, that's where they were. So it exists. And today, that's uh, mainly a Muslim country. But that's where the Christians were scattered. They have been experiencing trials. So Peter was encouraging them by reminding them of their prospect for glory, their prospect for salvation. Because they know Jesus, they believed in Jesus, and they know that Jesus died for their sins. First of all, you ask the question, who are we? As individuals and as Christians, who are we? Who are we as the church? Who are we as a congregation? We need to get something very clear because there is no mainline church in America today that is not experiencing what might be called an identity crisis. We are all going through it. I mean, there are some individuals who are going through it. But let us narrow it down and focus on the people who are called the church. And there is no mainline church in the United States today that is not experiencing an identity crisis. But I only know about my denomination, the United Methodist Church. And we're experiencing the crisis of identity in a huge and almost overwhelming way. I mean, it, it's no secret. Wherever you go, as long as there are United Methodists, we know we have an identity crisis. We simply do not know who we are, or we are just acting as if we don't know who we are. Because in many ways, United Methodists know themselves. We know it is a denomination. We know we are Christians. We know we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know we do mission all over the world. We know we are there for people as Jesus would expect us to be. And we know our purpose is to make disciples for the transformation of the world. But we have strayed from our Wesleyan or our biblical roots. We are confused in our mission. We are fearful about the future. And I believe that goes for every denomination, every, every church within the denomination. We are fearful about the future. We lack the boldness that is always necessary for a church to be what God calls us to be. So, if somebody would ask you, 
who are we? What would you say? Remember now we're talking because the guy doesn't want to preach anyway. So if somebody asks you, who are we as United Methodists, what would you say? A church in conflict. What else? This may be the only Sunday you are allowed to talk during the preaching. God's chosen people, you can tell she read the scripture. What else? Christians. Christians. A church in conflict. God's chosen people sealed by the word Christians. And that's who we are. And so Peter was encouraging Christians who were suffering. And Peter is rather clear in answering this question for the called out people of God who are known as Christians. And Peter says to them in the first century and to us in the 21st century, we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's own people. And the phrase translated God's own people literally means a people of God's possession. That's who we are. A chosen race. That's who we are, Christians. A people of God's possession. The King James Version translates it, we are a peculiar people. Peter was writing to Christians facing slander and persecution. There were Christians in foreign countries. In other words, they were exiles. And this was a letter to be passed from one group to the other. Because in those days, they were not all gathered together in the same place. Like the Pentecost experience, or like we are this morning. They were in different provinces. So the letter was to be read in one province and passed on to the next province because it was meant for all the Christians. And you know it will take weeks, if not months, for all of them to hear it. But this is what Peter is doing. It's supposed the purpose of, of, the, of the letter was to fortify these Christians and enable them to remain steadfast in their Christian commitment. Oh, and how much we need to be reminded to remain steadfast and committed to our Christian call. In fact, I think that is an everyday reminder for us to remain steadfast remain committed to our Christian call. Listen again to what Peter says. He says, once you were no people, but now 
You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My friends, these Christians, people, they were units in a collection of nations that could be classed as hidden. They did not know God. And now, because of the message of the disciples, they know God. They know Jesus Christ. Oh, my friends, we need to know who we are and we need to know to whom we belong. We are the group of people with Holy Spirit power because we are redeemed and we are ransomed by Jesus Christ. Who are you? Okay. But that's the question. Who are we as Christians? Are we confused? Yes, we're a church in crisis. But at the end of the day, we are Christians. Amen? We are Christians. I remember reading this story. It was at the turn of the 20th century, a young woman named Cassie Chadwick was able to borrow almost $2 million from banks and rich individuals from the Cleveland High Society. Why were people so eager to lend Ms. Chadwick money because she claimed to be the illegitimate daughter of business tycoon Andrew Carnegie. So she went around with that family name and was able to borrow money Chadwick hinted that the Carnegie family paid her a handsome sum of money in order to keep her, in order to keep her true identity a secret. But when she couldn't afford to pay back the bank loans, she had to face up with a lie. The Carnegies had never heard of a millionaire family and she served a 10-year prison sentence for a scheme. And it tells me that identity is a, is a tricky thing. We spend our lives trying to answer the question, who am I? And you have people searching for their true identity in the world every day. Who am I? We sense that if we can answer that one question, then our path in life will become significantly clear. Because when you know who you are, 
we have a better idea of what our values and priorities should be. The moment you know who you are, you're able to focus on what your goals, your, your, your priority in life should be. We have a clearer picture of how we should invest our time and our energy. Because knowing who we are as Christians, the Apostle Peter admonishes us by saying in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, this is what Peter says, Therefore, get rid of all malice and all deceit, envy, and slander of every kind. That is not part of your identity, in other words. Get rid of all those negative roots in the prayer. Throw them away. Like someone wrote in the prayer card this morning, so that God will teach us how to love and to love patiently. That's our identity, loving. So Peter says, get rid of all the negative vibes. Then he says, like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, have been built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter says to you and to me this morning, come in to Jesus as to a living stone that was rejected indeed by people. And we all know Jesus was rejected. Because if you go to the Gospel of John, the first chapter, he tells us that he came to his own people and his own people rejected him. And John says in the same verse, but all those who receive him, he gives power to become children of God. Yes, he was rejected, my friends, but chosen by God and precious. Then the scripture says, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now listen to the comparison, because Jesus himself did the same in the gospel. Remember when Jesus said, I am the light of the world? And a few minutes later, what did he say? You are the light of the world. And now Peter says, Jesus Christ is that living stone being built up in a spirit, as a spiritual house. And then Peter looks at us Christians, the Christians of the first century, throughout the centuries. He says, you are also the living stone. And he says to you, it is not only Christ who is the high priest 
But Peter says, you are the holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Coming to him, my friends, as to a living stone, Peter's picture is that God is building a spiritual temple, a spiritual house, using living stones. And who are the living stones? Who are they? Christians. Christians. And who are the Christians? You and I. God is using us to build that living spiritual temple. And those that God is using are those of us who have come to the ultimate living stone, Jesus Christ himself. There is no Christian without Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. We are the little lights of the world. He is the living stone. We are the living stone that God is using to build that spiritual temple. My friends, this spiritual house shows that as much as Israel at the temple, Christians also have a spiritual house. Yet the Christian's temple is spiritual, and they themselves, they themselves, they themselves, the Christians, are the temple of God. In fact, Paul says in Corinthians, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So you know, you know Peter is speaking from experience what the scripture is saying. Jesus is first called the living stone, then we are called living stones. We live because we are connected with Jesus, who is the source of all life. I am not a Christian without Jesus Christ. You are not a Christian without Jesus Christ. He is the living stone. He is the foundation. So the question this day is, who are you? You members of Church of the Cross United Methodists, you are a chosen race, says Peter, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's own people. When you know who you are, you don't have to impress anyone. Amen? When you know who you are, you don't have to impress anyone. anyone. I remember when Jesus was taken before the high priest, he was asked, what do you have to say for yourself? Jesus knew who he was. The question was, what do you have to say for yourself? Who can remember the answer that Jesus gave? Another red, red lobster opportunity. Who can remember the answer that Jesus gave? Actually, to that question, Jesus was silent. 
Remember, when you know who you are, you don't have to say much. Jesus was silent because the question was the wrong question. But when the high priest asked him if he was the son of God, what did Jesus say? I am. This was the right or correct question. And before Pilate who asked, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, yes, it is. As you say, this again is the right or correct question. And in the Gospel of Luke, Herod asked Jesus question after question. But there was no reply. And all because whenever you have discovered your identity, you need to say very little. And Jesus demonstrated that because Jesus knew who he was. And so this morning, the question is, do you know who you are? Somewhere I heard about identical twin brothers who lived in the same town. One was a physician and the other was a preacher. One Monday morning, the doctor ran into someone who said, that was a marvelous sermon you preached last Sunday. Oh no, the doctor protested. You've got the wrong person. That was my brother. He preaches and I practice. My friends, there is a lot of that in the world from the beginning. John the Baptist preached, but he also practiced, and his influence has been felt ever since. Now that you know who you are and whom you belong to, I want us to go out of this sanctuary this morning to do two things. Number one, to preach. Tell the story. Let people know you're a Christian. And number two, it is to practice what you preach. Because as they say, action speaks louder than what? Than words. Could you do that? Could you preach and practice what you preach? I'll come back to the prayer request that was handed me this morning, that we pray for God's help in learning to love others as God loves us. That is preaching it and practicing it patiently. Go out this morning, my friends. You preach it and you practice it.
Because from now on, there is no crisis in your identity because you know you are a Christian, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's own possession. Because we are the called out people, the ecclesia of God. And we have a message to preach. And after preaching, we practice what we preach so that we can enlarge the kingdom of God as witnesses by our words and our actions. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, to these God's people say, Amen. Amen.